Genesis chapter 32. I want to give you a message that uh, God gave me probably 18 years ago. And uh, it's been one of those... It's one of those life messages that the Lord preaches to me, and I want to give it to you tonight. I'm going to read a few verses, and then we're going to go back and do a little bit of um, a little bio sketch, and I'm going to talk to you about this man. Genesis chapter 32, if you would. Verse, now, in verse 24, this is, this is a Waterloo moment. This is, this is a wall This is in the middle of Jacob's life. And this is where things, if they didn't change, would have gone very poorly, would have gone downhill. And this was a moment that God met Jacob. I want to talk to you about that this evening. Verse number 24, the Bible says, And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. When he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. This is Jacob, says, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called on, excuse me, called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him. Notice this phrase. And he halted upon his thigh. Therefore, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh. Unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that strength. I want to speak to you this evening on this subject, this question. Do you want God to touch your life? Father, I thank you tonight for the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the word of God. I thank you for how faithful you are to us. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your Compassion on us. I thank you, Lord, that you do not give up on us. Lord, if we're one of your children, you will perform what you've started in us until the day of Jesus Christ. And Lord, if we're not saved, you will pursue us until we say that final no and head into eternity. But Lord, you are constantly seeking after man. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit tonight, Lord. I really want to hear from you myself. I pray that you would empty me of self tonight and use your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please turn over to chapter 25? I want to do a quick sketch for you of what has transpired to bring this night to pass. Genesis chapter 25 is the birth of Jacob. The Bible tells us in verse number 19... These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, not the fetus. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people 
shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over, like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out. And his hand took hold on Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter. I imagine so. The guy could camouflage himself in the woods. Harry. <laughs> he was a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. The name of Jacob means heel catcher. It means supplanter. It means poacher. And from his birth, Jacob started a trend. A trend of getting ahead. He schemed and he planned his way through his life to make sure that he was always on top and in front. Interestingly enough, that's what he started his life like. <laughs> and he grabbed his brother and said, not so fast, Esau. Very interesting story that's told. Very interesting history of these men. Look, if you would, down as it begins the life of Jacob, and it, it describes those two men right there, right? So we got a manly man, and you have a smooth, plain man. A man of the kitchen, <laughs> and the man of the field. Jacob sawed pottage in verse 29. Now, ladies, a good cook is a blessing, is he not? Okay. <laughs> a guy that can cook is a blessing, amen? One that doesn't burn your house down, can I get a witness? That's a blessing, but uh, Esau, he was the man who, me see food, me hunt, me bring in. And he dragged food in. In verse number 29, it says, Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Notice that? Red. And so, it says... Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. Stop. You ever said that when you're hungry? I'm starving to death. That's a lie. That's a lie. But he's so faint that he thinks he's going to die. Which means, to show, it means to, to show me that Esau was a man of exaggeration. He exaggerated. And the thing about Esau is he always, like his father Isaac, thought about the flesh. He was always concerned about the flesh. So he says, I'm at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? I heard one preacher say, Jacob, with all of his issues that we're going to talk about, he said he understood value more than Esau. Jacob said, swear to me this day, and he sweared unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Young people, a birthright was more important than we, we don't really have something like that. Uh, sometimes we have a will, and things are passed down that way. But a birthright was more important in this culture. And it meant basically that you were going to be vested with all of the rights and all of the privileges and all the money and inheritance of mom and dad. Uh, and would be passed down to you, and that was given to the firstborn, to the first man in the house that was born. And that was Esau's right at this time. But Esau is so hungry from hunting that he says, I'm going to sell this to you. Jacob is a, he's a heel catcher. He's always trying to knock someone down. So he cheats Esau out of his birthright. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Notice what the Bible says, the Holy Spirit says, Thus Esau despised. His birthright. It's not that he just didn't like it. 
He despised it. It's not that just he liked, not that he just liked lentils. It's that he didn't understand what he was given. And verse, uh, flip over to chapter 27, just doing a quick bio sketch. The, the message at the end is a little short, a shorter. In Genesis chapter 27, with the help of his favorite playing mother, if you remember, we read that, that she loved Jacob and Esau loved, excuse me, uh, that Isaac loved Esau. The Bible tells us in verse 18, and he came unto his father and said, my father, and he said, here am I. Who art thou, my son? Without spending too much time, we understand that Rebekah is conniving and scheming with Jacob to steal that blessing. He's got the birthright, but the blessing from the dad. It was a spiritual thing handed down. And he's ready to take that rightful blessing and inheritance from his brother. And his own mother is helping. It's interesting. The Bible is filled with a lot of dysfunctional families. Genesis is rife with it. <laughs> People are getting, they're working their plan and trying to get their way done. And that's, if you study the life of Rebecca, she did that. So he steals the blessing from his brother Esau. And I won't go into all of that and what is actually going on. But Isaac, strangely enough, doesn't recognize his own son. Now, we understand that his eyes were dim. He could not see him. But he, as a picture of the flesh, felt those arms, and that hairy arm they put on, that goat's hair they put on Jacob's arms. And he felt that and assumed that was Jacob when it was not. Or excuse me, he assumed it was Esau when it was not. And just a side note, by the way, five times Isaac doubted. And yet Hebrews records him as having faith. That is very interesting to me. God seems to have grace and overlook things sometimes. Thank God for that. Amen. It records Isaac as having faith, even though he was actually acting by sight, by feelings, so to speak. And so in chapter 28, Isaac, excuse me, uh, Jacob flees the house because Esau is angry at his brother for stealing his birthright, for stealing his blessing, for manipulating the whole situation to get the blessing from his father, and so he's going to kill him. And Jacob runs. He runs from his house. He runs from his family. Now, this is not like it is today, where you run and then you maybe could come back on a train. No, no, this was <laughs> on a plane, in a car, maybe with a, you know, a bike. No, no, when you went away, you went away a long time. It was a long trip. It was a hard trip to go away. And Jacob's going to go away for a ways off and leaves his family. It's a big step for him. So God meets him in chapter 28. And I'm truncating all of this, telling the story quickly. But he meets him. God meets Jacob in chapter 28. And he has this dream. And he sees this ladder of angels going up and down into from the earth to heaven. And it's an incredible vision that he has. And he's sleeping there on a rock as his pillow. And he talks about in verse 16 of chapter 28, this is a place where the Lord is in this place. I knew it not. This is the, but the house of God. It's the gate of heaven. So Jacob builds these pillars and, and makes a, a, an altar, so to speak, to God meeting him there. In verse 20 it says, and Jacob vowed a vow. Jacob's getting serious. He's away from mom and dad. And he's getting serious about his life. He's got a brother that's probably going to hunt him down, he thinks. In fact, that thought never left his mind. So Esau is going to come for me. And so here's God meeting me. This is a blessing. This is amazing. It says in verse 20, though, that Jacob vowed a vow and said, If God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come to my father's house, come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. I want you to notice all the caveats, all, all the clauses, all the asterisks that go along with Jacob's vow. There's an incredible message in that alone. There's a lot of Christian young people that put a lot of stipulations on God. And notice he says, 
All, he gives three things. If God will be with me, if he'll keep me in the way that I go, and give me bread and raiment, he gives me five. And, and come to my father's house, then shall the Lord be my God. So you know what that means? God is not Jacob's God. He's not Jacob's God yet. It's mom and dad's God. It's grandpa's God. It's not his. And so he makes a bartering promise with the Lord. If you'll do all these things, then God, you'll be my God. And he set up a stone there in this place. Hmm. Chapter 28 shows that relationship that he barters with God. But chapter 29 shows the real Jacob. And for time's sake, I won't go into it, but Jacob meets his future father-in-law Laban, and Jacob meets his match. Jacob walks straight into a mirror called Laban. Laban works Jacob, man. (laughs) You talk about a poacher. Jacob is worked over by Laban, and Laban gets 20 years out of this man, or 14 years out of this man, seven extra years out of him. Then he, he worked more than that. And he, he just worked and massaged that. And Laban is a shyster, man. He is a wheeler and dealer. But Jacob still got him back. Jacob did some weird thing with the animals at the end of the chapter. <laughs> you want to read about that? It's crazy stuff. Chapter 29, chapter 30. And he, he makes this deal and, and figures out how to get more cattle to himself while looking like he's good. I mean, Jacob's good at this stuff. He gets all the, 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 the healthy cattle for himself and makes it look like he didn't have anything to do with it. Leaves all of the thin and famishing cattle with Laban. And finally he gets out of there and he runs and leaves and takes the wives with him and all the cattle and everything that Jacob had, had uh, worked for there under Laban's care. In chapter 30, he makes a deal with Laban. But this time, Jacob comes out on top. Though Laban has manipulated, Jacob comes out on top. And then chapter 32, we find Jacob facing a brand new problem. Jacob finds out that his brother Esau is coming to meet him. He wants to get back. And I, I really think that Jacob did want to make things right with Esau. I think he did. And I, but, but Jacob is not, gonna, he's not going to, at first, get a hold of the Lord to see what God wants him to do with his brother. He's going to figure this thing out on his own. And so he puts this whole plan in place. I'm going to meet Jacob, uh, Esau, excuse me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure everything is <laughs> laid out in place. He, he says, I'm going to send a messengers in verse 3. I want you to go see Esau, tell him I'm coming. And then notice in verse 4, if you would, Genesis chapter 32. We're, we're building up here to the apex. Verse 3, Jacob said, sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So here's his brother, young people, that was said the last time he saw him, I'm going to kill you. Verse 4, he commanded them, these messengers, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my Lord Esau. What's the next verse? That's the next two words. All right. So there's a little genuflecting going on here, okay? Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now, and I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants, and I have sent to tell my... My what? My Lord. That I may find what? He's scared. Jacob is scared. Jacob is afraid. You know why? Because he's been living all these years with his father-in-law, with his two wives, with all this stuff going on. He's been manipulating. He's been working this. He's been heel catching. He's been supplanting his father-in-law. In fact, his own wife supplanted her father. This is a manipulating family. And Jacob is afraid because his brother Esau is coming. But, check out verse 6, and the messenger to return to Jacob saying, we came to thy brother Esau and also he cometh to meet thee. (laughs) This is good news. This is great news. My brother wants to see me. You ever... um, 
read little phrases, a book, and everything was great up to a point. And then you read one last phrase, and it twists everything around. That's what happened. You see it? And 400 men with him. 400 men is the standard size of a militia in this day. Man, have you ever been listening <laughs> to a sermon or you ever been listening to uh, the news or, or just, just listening in life and someone says one thing and then you never hear anything else past that? Because your mind sticks? That's what happened to Jacob right here. Jacob said in his mind, wow, this just changed. My fears are being realized. I'm getting ready to meet my brother and he's got 400 men. Wow. Verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. You ever do interesting things when you're distressed? Uh, Things that at other times you probably wouldn't do? Things that you do that doesn't make a lot of sense, but in your mind they make sense? That's what he begins to do. He begins to, look, Jacob right now is calling all of the resources of the poacher, all of the character traits of the supplanter to the forefront so he can get out of this situation. And look what he does. He says, he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands. That's interesting because verse 2 says that Jacob, verse 1, Jacob went on his way and the angel of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's hosts. And he called the name of that place Mahanium. You know what that word means, Mahanium? It means two bands. See, Jacob had another spiritual encounter here with some angels of God that met him. Verse 1. I don't know everything that's going on there. All I know is that he saw the Lord's host and he saw his host. But you know what he's doing? Now that the fear of his brother's attack is coming, he's acting in the flesh. And he's taking things from spiritually saw and he's trying to implement them fleshly, carnally in his life. I'm going to split this thing up. I saw this band. And you'll notice he doesn't talk anything about an angel band with him versus this band. He doesn't divide it that way. He divides his own belongings up. He is scheming and he's, he's conniving to try to get out of this situation. What does he do? He says, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. Do you know what he does, Brother Russ? The first company has who? His wives. Has the servants, has the, excuse me, has the, has the animals first, and then it puts the wives. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Verse 13 through 15, he puts these two groups and he adds 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats and 200 ewes and 20 lambs and 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls and 20 sea-asses and 10 foals. And what am I going to do? So he stages this gift for maximum impact. He stages these droves, these herds of animals so that Esau would have just enough time to admire those animals and interact. You, you don't walk through sheep fast, do you? The whole herd of them. You're not going to split them that quick. You're not going to walk through 200 she-goats quickly, are you? No. So his idea is this. Maybe the man will be appeased. The first drove of animals coming. Oh, this is, oh, it's a goat. Look, it's a goat. It's a little she. Oh, so cute. Maybe, maybe he loves animals. Maybe Esau loves animals. Please don't kill me, brother. He gives him time to admire those animals and interact with the servants that are there. Oh, yeah. Hey, man. Hey. This is, isn't this amazing? I mean, look at all these animals. Top animals. Well-fed. They are the top animals around. And I'm telling you, the guy that we work for, he's amazing. Hey, we'll see you. He's coming, though. Hey, he's an amazing guy. And they walk on. He is marketing his own amazingness. <laughs> You think this is credible? You think these sheep are awesome? You think they're well-fed? Well, there's more. <laughs> and he gives them a chance to interact and to have his anger mitigated before the next group. And he sets this up. He works it all. Verse 16, he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto the servants, pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. What are you supposed to say? 
Verse 18, thou shalt say, they be thy servant Jacob's. It's a present sent unto my Lord Esau. Behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third that followed the droves. On this manner shall you speak unto Esau when you shall find him. Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterwards I will see his face. Peradventure, he will be accepted me. Verse 21. So, he, so went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night, took his two wives and his two women's servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. By the way, that's not an easy thing to do right there, just to cross over that river. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. I want you to get the picture of Jacob. This is a wall. This is a Waterloo. This is a moment for him. This is a moment that God brings this man too. And all the way up to verse 24, Jacob has been putting things as best as he can in the best way that he can. I've got to get ahead. I've got to get this. I've got to do that. I've got to be at the right school. I've got to be, make the right handshake. I've got to meet the right person. I've got to drive the right car. I've got to have the right suit. I've got to have all. I've got to make sure everybody thinks I'm good. Oh, no. Someone's going to find out who I am. All right, let's maximize that effort. Uh, let's, let's have someone coming out before me that makes me look better. He's manipulating the situation until verse 24. And now, he's alone. God backs Jacob into a corner. Jacob can go nowhere. Jacob wants God's, wants God's help, but he's still trying to accomplish it in his own power. Jacob wanted deliverance from Esau, but God was going to deliver him from someone else. Someone that he knew very well. Three points. Number one, if you want God to touch your life, he will make something lame. Verse 24. Jacob is left alone, and there wrestled with him a man, wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Christian, God will put something in your life so that you need him. He saved you for himself, and he wants you to need him. I'm looking at people tonight that have broken homes. I'm looking at people tonight, I don't know, but maybe you know, you have mental baggage. You have stuff you deal with every day. Some of you have past besetting sins. Some of us have family issues that we face every day or the results of bad decisions. And often we want God to touch our lives, to do something in our lives. We say, God, I could serve you if you just take away this physical ailment. I could serve you. Lord, would you please use me why isn't, my, why isn't my spiritual life like everyone else's, God? I want you to use me. And God says, then you're going to have to let me touch you. You're going to have an area in your life that you, listen to me please, may never get the victory over. There may be something in your life that will not go away even though you've begged God to do it. Remember this, that Jacob fought in his weakness here. And that's a paradox. 
Notice if you would, it says, when he saw that he prevailed not against him. Who's the he in that verse? Well, Hosea chapter 12 tells us this is an angel. The angel prevailed not against Jacob. Now that's amazing, isn't it? That's an amazing thought to think that the angel couldn't prevail against a man. Now we know in the context that's not true. But what we do know is he's revealing himself as a man in this verse. A man who can be beat. A man man who can fight with another man and not win. But he's an angel. This is a revelation that God will let you fight him. Young people, God will let you fight him. Absolutely. You can walk out these doors, go live your life, and and God will let you do it. And it will seem as if there is no consequences to it. He He can let you think you're winning. That's scary. I used to play with my older brother and tease him like basketball and act like, I wasn't really trying. Oh, that make him mad. When your younger brother acts like he's not trying, it gets him all upset. <laughs> he was, I, was, I was trying. Um, he was pretty good, but I didn't, let him, I didn't let him know that. And then there came a point where I got, it did get a little bit better than him at one point. And then that point's gone. Um, but I remember he gets so mad when, when uh, he... He thought I was letting him win, right? This angel that's wrestling with Jacob is letting him win. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you would, for me. We're going to be quick here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want the Lord to touch my life. Number one, then he's going to cause something to be lame. Jacob is fighting with this angel. The Bible tells us he fought all night long. You think Jacob was a, a, a man of the tents and just a pansy? Because Esau was out in the field. Jacob was a strong boy. He fights all night long with this angel. I want you to see, I want you to see another man who fought with God. That is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says in verse 2, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body or... I cannot tell her whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. He said, I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, for, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I should not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. So Paul is referencing here himself in the third person. He doesn't want to talk about himself in the revelations that he saw. But it says in verse number 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. There's nobody else in the New Testament that had as many revelations as Paul did. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul had some sort of thorn in the flesh. Some people say his eyesight. Some people say it was a critic that constantly followed around and stirred up questions. I don't know what it is exactly, but Paul said it was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And he prayed and he asked God, Take this away. God... You can't use me as good as you could use me if you have this in my life. Paul said that flesh has got to be, excuse me, that thorn's got to be removed from my flesh or I'm not going to be able to be used. God said, no, 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 no. I stuck that thorn in there to remind you that you need me. But Lord, remove it. No, son. Lord, please. No. But God, don't you love me? Yes. 
keep the thorn in there. He wouldn't remove it. He wanted Paul to be lame. He wanted Paul to be lame. Peter denied the Lord. You ever think he got over that? God gave him grace. But I have a feeling that bothered him. Moses said, I can't speak well. In fact, when Moses was not even allowed to go into the land of, of, of Israel because of his anger, his one moment, the meekest man of the whole world had one moment of anger, and God said, don't go in. You can't go in the land. You're not gonna be, you can look at it, but you can't go in. And, and, and Moses, Moses, I was just reading it today in Deuteronomy. He said, God, can you let me go in? God said, no. He said, let it suffice you. Let it suffice thee. Speak no more of this, God said to Moses. Son, stop talking about it. Wow. That's what Paul said. My grace is sufficient for thee. If you want God to touch you in your life, there's something he's put there. You say, Pastor Matt, I don't have the home that you have. I don't have the family that you have. Because that doesn't matter. God wants to do something with you. I've got my own thorns. I've got my own lame areas. And if you want God to touch you, if you want God to use your life, you're going to have to recognize the lame areas. Some of you here are sitting tonight without your spouse. Some of you stay awake all night wondering, why I said that? Why did I do that? Why can't I return what I said? Why can't I get that time back? I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. If you want God to touch your life, he's going to cause something to be lame. Hudson Taylor had 51 years in China. Listen to the accomplishments that God did through him. 849 missionaries to China as a result of his life. 849 missionaries surrendered as a direct result of Hudson Taylor. Over 125,000 Chinese people reached. $4 million raised by prayer. That's several years ago. Started 250 mission stations. He baptized on record 50,000 converts. But what price did Hudson Taylor pay? He lost a daughter in China. Three years later, he lost a son in China. He lost a wife to tuberculosis at 33 years old. At her death on August 4th, 1870, he wrote to his mother this. From my innermost soul, I delight in the knowledge that God does or deliberately permits all things and causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. He and he only knew what my dear wife was to me. He knew how the light of mine eyes and the joy of mine heart were in her. But he thought it good to take her. Good indeed for her. And in his love, he took her painlessly. And not less good for me, who must henceforth toil and suffer alone. Yet not alone. For God is nearer to me than ever. And now I shall have to tell him all my sorrows and difficulties, as I used to tell dear Maria. And as she cannot join me in intercession to to rest in the knowledge of Jesus' intercession, to walk a little less by feeling, a little less by sight, a little more by faith. I'm not going to broad brush it. I'm not going to code it for you. If you want God to use you, something in your life is going to be lame. That may be why you won't surrender. You say, God's going to hurt me. No, no, no. God only uses broken things. You say, well, I'm not broken. He'll never use you. It's only when you realize you're broken from the inside out that God will use you. We're all lame somewhere. If you want God to touch your life, you have to be lame. But I want you to see secondly, if you want God to touch your life, he will have to change your name. Verse 26 through 28 is the apex of Jacob's life. 
Jacob's wrestling with the man, the angel. I have a feeling that he has not re- doesn't reveal himself. And Jacob's thinking, wow, this is a strong guy. I thought I was strong. This guy's strong. All night long, they're fighting. And then the light is beginning to break. The day is breaking in verse 26. He said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. You see, I got to have something from God. If I don't get something from God, my brother's going to kill me. Remember that promise I made to you in chapter 28, God? Where I said, if you'll do all these things for me, I'll let you be my God. Don't you remember the privilege that I gave you to be my God? (laughs) And the angel says, what is thy name? You and I will never, ever grow. We will never be used of God until we recognize our name. What did he say? He said, my name. He said, Jacob. Jacob. See, up to this point, Jacob was in charge of his life. And to change his name meant to change his life. Have you admitted to God who you really are? I had a period in my life when I had to admit to God that my name is doubt. My name is faithlessness. I wanted God to give me every answer. I wanted God to give me someone else's testimony, someone else's experience, someone else's walk with God. I just, I wanted, whatever they had, I wanted it. And, and, and I, was, I was asking God to give me, I was searching everywhere to find it. <laughs> Trying every experience. You say, were you out in the world? No, 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 no. I was, I was in my apartment on the floor with snot everywhere. That's where I was. Asking God to show me who he was. To reveal me. Why do I have these feelings? Why do I have these worries? What's going on, God? Why, why, why don't you hear me? Got myself in a real mix. Told pastor more details and I'll tell you. And it was a, a weird time. It's, it's called spiritual vertigo. Yep. Yep. Where you think up is down and down is up. You don't know, actually. As the pilots say, if you don't know if you're in vertigo, you spit on the windshield to see which way the gravity goes. Isn't that right, Brother John? <laughs> and as Jim White said, I didn't know which way was up. I, there, was, there was spit all over that windshield. He got in a storm one time. He's a pilot, preacher. And he said, they say spit on the windshield. I spit all over that windshield. <laughs> I didn't know which way it was up. And I felt that same way in my spiritual life. Incredible story he gives about getting on the radio with the tower operator. And he said, that tower operator with his voice in my ear brought me safely to the ground. Have you ever told God your lust? No, no. Not that you lust. Your name is lust. Have you ever told God that your name is anger? Have you ever told God your name is gossip? Have you ever told God your name is lasciviousness? Is fear? Is worry? Have you ever told God my name is manipulation? Have you ever told God what your name is? He said, well, no, Pastor Matt. Everyone, no, 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 no. Everyone else may know who you are, but that does not mean you know who you are. You say, well, people say, I act like this. No, no. Until you admit to God who you are, He will not use you. He wants you to be honest. He wants you to spend time with Him. You say, well, I got saved at 12 years old. Have you ever admitted who you are? To God. God had to do that in my life. (laughs) If you want God to change something in your life, he will start with you. Husband, have you ever admitted to God your eyes are in the ends of the earth? And you're an adulterer at heart? Wives, have you ever admitted to God that you're dissatisfied? That you had expectations that God didn't fulfill? And so you hold God at bay because he didn't do in your life what you thought. What's your name? 
That's the question God asked. If you want God to touch your life, something will have to be lame. And something, your name is going to have to be changed. And lastly, let me leave with this. If you want God to touch your life and you let him, you will never be the same. In verse 34, the Bible tells us the wrestling is going on. He touches that hollow of his thigh. By the way, that place where he touched, doctors have said that's one of the strongest parts of the human body. You can tie a horse to that area, and a horse would have a hard time breaking it. And I believe at that moment, when his thigh was touched and he couldn't fight, yet he was still trying to, he realized he was dealing with someone else. A man that could touch me right there and knock that out of joint, and I'm lame, and I'm wiggling here on the ground trying to get power from him. I, 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 this is something different. And if this is who I think it is, I need something from you. And he grabs a hold of that angel and says, I want something from you. You've got to bless me. He said, what's your name? He said, my name is Jacob. He says, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. The blessing that Jacob thought he was going to steal from his brother was all of the time in God. The, the head up, the prevailing that he thought he was going to get in Laban's household was the entire time in God. The acceptance by his wives that he was looking for was in God. You're going to be a prince. I'm going to make you something great. You don't have to be Abraham, your grandfather. You don't have to be Isaac, your father. You can be a prince with me. And Jacob made God his God. But it started with something lame. And it started with recognizing who he really really is. And he was never the same. In Genesis chapter 47, verse 29, the Bible says, And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. That's Jacob. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. Abraham did the same thing with Isaac. Put your hand under my thigh. It was a tradition that that strength right there, I want you to put your hand where my strength is. I want you to be ready to hear what I'm saying. There's a blessing there. It was a tradition of the Jewish people. And here is Israel having his son Joseph, Jacob having his son Joseph put his hand on his thigh. I imagine for a moment their eyes locked. I can't imagine that Je- Joseph grew up there around Jacob as that special boy with that coat, not ever hearing about why dad walks like this. I can't imagine they never talked about it. And so in my mind's eye, Brother Russ, when Joseph put his hand under that thigh and their eyes locked, they knew. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. He never was the same again. He never forgot what God did. I believe the Holy Spirit mentions Jacob's staff in Hebrews 11 because he wants all of us to know Jacob never got over it. The new name cannot be separated from the new crippling for the crippling is the substance of the name. Here's my message this evening. Jacob was always running ahead of God. But now, 
He's walking slowly. He's walking deliberately. Jacob is walking behind everyone else. But he's walking with God. And if you want God to touch your life, that very thing that you think he should remove, or if he would remove, I could really serve God, may be the very thing that he's using. I don't know what it is for you. See, God may be wrestling with some of you tonight. Maybe you're wrestling with him. And he may be saving to you, you, you clever, you astute and capable person that you are, that got it all figured out. You, oh, you have believed in me, but you've always manipulated your own life. You've always made your own arrangements. You've always checked every website to make sure it's exactly what you should do. You've always manipulated your life to make sure it's laid out so there is little damage. We can mitigate all the damage and we can have the best this and that. And you're afraid to give yourself to God because you think God's going to ruin your life. No, my friends. God wants to bless you. In great ways. God wants to use you past what you think. But he'll never use someone that can't say their name. Stop arguing with God. Stop telling him, I got to have this. I got to have that. Well, yeah, over here, this Bible and this verse, that doctrine and this and that. Hey, endless genealogies, endless questions. God doesn't want you to come that way. He's not going to accept that. He doesn't want you to figure him out. He wants you to figure you out. And until you do, you'll never have God's blessing. Listen, if you want God to touch your life, you must start with this question. What's your name?